Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Chirps. Tara and Alex back with you after a couple of weeks of not being here, and that's really on me. I knew Alex was going to be gone, and I just kind of didn't do a show two weeks ago, and then last week we had scheduling conflicts and also just kind of didn't do a show. So part of that is because, Alex, I still can't actually watch Cardinals games since the... uh, bottom half of the first inning of opening day. So my ability to stream via the cable provider, uh, it still doesn't exist. So unless I can find some sort of pirated stream elsewhere, my ability to watch the Cardinals is quite limited at the moment. So I felt like doing a solo show (laughs) without having seen any actual baseball probably wouldn't help anyone, which is why just took a couple weeks off but we are we are back this week with a team that appears to be playing much better than the last time I saw them. <laughs> I agree. I went to the two games in Washington last week, the two games that they lost. And while that was certainly a bummer and the offense, yeah, left a little to I guess on the table to complain about. I walked away feeling okay because the pitching looked pretty good. And that was everyone's concern going into the season. Um, and once the season started, that was, that was still our concern. And I think this offense will be fine. I don't think it's going to be a great offense, but I do think that they will be okay. Good enough, I think, would be a good way to describe how I think the offense will look uh, by the time the season's done. The pitching is what we're worried about. And the last 10 days, last two weeks, they have gotten really good starts from four of their five, you know, the top four in the rotation. And, and that's a really good sign. And, and KK looked, looked really good. And what I, I think I really like about the starters so far, I think I saw that the, uh, the league-wide walk rate for starters is around like 8.5% or something like that. Flaherty, Wainwright, Carlos, and KK are all below that number. And with an exception of Flaherty, they're all well below that number. And, and that's been nice. And so, yeah, I'm like you. They're 11 and 11. We're taping this on a Tuesday night, I think. So that could change, will change by the time you hear this. And I think they're down one nothing in the first. But even though they're 11 and 11, which is a very pedestrian record, I feel, like you said, much better than I did two weeks ago. There's still little weird things, like, for instance, Carlos Martinez, who on paper has put together some strong starts. But it's very odd to me how he's not striking people out anymore. You know, he, I want to say he's, he's striking out, I think I saw earlier today, like a little over 14% of batters. He used to live above 20%. And close to 25%. You know, in 2017, he was like that rare pitcher who was almost a ground ball pitcher, but still struck a ton of guys out. And now that's just not happening, which is kind of concerning, kind of weird for a pitcher with a repertoire like he has. Um, I, I know it's so early, but I feel like, you know, that those numbers stabilize quicker than, than most, especially for, for starters. So th- that's certainly something I'm keeping an eye on. But overall, like you said, I feel... I feel good. I feel like this is the team we thought they were going to be, which is a team that can certainly win the division and at the very least better be fighting for for the division. Yeah, and we can talk a little more about that. I do want to mention we have a really exciting 
guest coming on the show in a little bit. I had a chance to sit down and talk to Xavier Scruggs, former St. Louis Cardinal player, also spent some time in the KBO. He covered some of the KBO games when that was all the baseball we had to watch last season. And now he's starting a new position with the Cardinals uh, in their baseball operations team as the diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. We'll talk more about that later on. I just want to throw that out there as a little tease so you don't go away while we talk about whatever else is happening in baseball. But was I'm excited I not to, to have give that him on the show. Of, was I not supposed to give that long of an answer? Uh, no, you were fine. No, no, no. You were fine. I just wanted to mention that before I go into my long well, response to your answer. Okay. Well, yeah. Everyone definitely stick around for that because this will be the second time that you have interviewed him on the podcast and uh the first time was excellent i think it was about was that about a year ago or yeah or yeah. i don't remember when it was but yeah it was excellent and he he is a very interesting guy so i i look forward to hearing that yeah he's one of those people that you can just talk baseball with forever and feel like there's always something to learn and, and something to say but as far as the cardinals are concerned i know he has a lot of uh ties to the organization still you know outside of this new position and a lot of um, you know, just proximity to the guys that we're still seeing playing with this team right now. But one of the guys that I, I know he has his eyes on, he's talked about it on Twitter, and I know we all do, is Dylan Carlson. You mentioned the offense being, a, not no pun intended, but a little hit or miss at this point in the season. And the the change to move Dylan Carlson up to the two spot in the lineup, I think you and I talked about this. I know I talked about it with Shopta on Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I've talked about it with everyone else that, you know, went back and forth on, on what a possible lineup could look like with this team. It really felt like he needed to be the two hitter all along. I don't know what the hesitation was, if it was just kind of like giving him time to settle in, which I do sort of understand in theory. Uh, but moving him up to the two spot seems to have been a good call on the part of of Mike Schiltz, kind of lengthening out that lineup a little bit more. Although, as much as it's been fun to watch, uh, well, I was going to say to watch Dylan Carlson. Uh, y- y'all can watch Dylan Carlson. I can just read a box score and see what Dylan Carlson has done. But as much fun as it is to see him finding that success and, and maybe some sort of consistency, we'll see how long uh, that lasts and how he goes along throughout the season. Uh, when even that, you know, you look at a start from Adam Wainwright where he throws a complete game, only gives up two runs, and they still lose. There's still something to be desired uh, on the offensive side of things. Don't get me wrong. Zach Wheeler is one of those guys that you know is capable of that every time out. So not to take away from what he did. Uh, but it's it hurts a little more, I think, for me when Adam Wainwright throws a complete game and doesn't get the win. Yeah, I think I look at that as one. That's just baseball. Yeah. That that happens. And I, I think the last time that happened to the Cardinals, I think I, I saw this tweet earlier. That was it also was Adam Wainwright on the mound, mm-hmm. I think in 2007, you know, kind of a long time ago, um, which is possible when it's Adam Wainwright that it can be the same <laughs> guy and it be a very long time ago, the last time it happened. I, I guess I keep telling myself, well, eventually Goldschmidt and Arenado are go- going to start hitting. It might be a little concerning. So I, I know you haven't been able to watch many broadcasts, but the Bally Sports Network, uh, you know, they they do this thing. I, I, I think you've seen it where they kind of have these, they have the score, they have the stuff you want, pitch count, all that stuff on the left. On the right, there it's this constant stream of different like facts and things like that. Sometimes it's 
very worthless stuff that, <laughs> that they're throwing over there. But every once in a while, something catches my eye. And I, I want to say a game last week, they noted that Paul Goldschmidt is getting attacked in the zone way more than is typical for, for his career. Now, I don't know how typical it wasn't specific enough to in terms of how typical it was the last year or the year before that, but just overall, um, he's getting attacked in the zone a lot as, as compared to his entire body of work. That kind of, I think, like, huh, that's could be a little disturbing and that, not, I don't know if disturbing is the right. I say that a lot. Uh, <laughs> I, I say a word and I, I say, wait, that's not what I want to say. Um, maybe something to keep an eye on. Like, our pitcher's not as afraid of this guy as they used to be. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think there's so much, maybe because more broadcasts are talking about the more analytic style stats, right? Not just the counting stats that are typically on a, a baseball broadcast that everyone knows and everyone understands. But there is a little bit more uh, in uh, of an introduction or of an inclusion of some of these um, more involved and more sabermetric type numbers but it's fascinating to me how much of a conversation this is this year. And I don't know if it's because <laughs> when when you're not generating the results that you want, you start looking at the process and then you go, oh, well, the process isn't really that bad. So why is it not generating the results we expected to get? And that's a little bit of what we kind of are hearing with this Cardinals team this year, whether it's, you know, the the hard hit rate or exit velocity or, you know, wh- whatever it is. There's been a lot of that. But it is interesting when you find a little nugget and then kind of go, huh, why is that happening? <laughs> why is that a thing that is different this season than in other seasons? And I think like you, I sort of just assume Paul Goldschmidt is going to look like Paul Goldschmidt more than he's not over the course of an entire season. Um, but it is an interesting note, just like you said, something to pay attention to, something to watch if teams have decided to approach him a bit differently than they have in the past. And, uh, you know, there's, there's no way to really know what that's going to mean, except to just keep watching it and see what happens. Uh, fortunately, Arnato has been pretty much as advertised. I know he thought he, he thought he got one, uh, to end that game, um, in the ninth. I, I think Monday. Danny Mac thought he got one a little more than <laughs> uh, anyone true. else did. Uh, he was trying to maybe will oh it out of the gosh. park. Um, <laughs> Real quick, can I ask you uh, a, your, about your thoughts? Um, well, actually, I'm going to tell you my thoughts and then ask you what you think about it. But the way almost every announcer presents a lot of StatCast stats, I think, could be better. And mm, yeah. this is especially true for the Sunday Night Crew on ESPN, where they have a huge audience. And someone would hit a home run, and they will say, like, Oh my gosh, off the bat, that was an exit velocity of 107 miles per hour. The problem, in my opinion, with that statement alone is 90% of the baseball watching public has no context for what that means. It's not like a pitch that goes 100 miles per hour because anyone who pays attention to baseball knows exactly what that means. I think I wish they'd go an extra step, especially on national broadcasts, and say, the exit velocity off his bat was 107 miles per hour. And here's where that ranks percentile with the league. Like that's in the top 90, whatever percent, you know. And I, and I think that's all it would take to really 
get the kind of the uh, what, what's the word casual fans mm-hmm. uh, and under, who are very important to baseball. We, we need casual fans watching baseball. Um, so, so I certainly, I hope that I'm, that's not a put down at all. That's uh, that's me in a lot of sports, you know, or, or whatever. I, I think that would be very helpful to give the casual fan a better understanding of what these stats mean. And I feel like almost no announcer does that. They just stop at the actual number. Does that, do you, do you feel that way? Does that make sense? I I totally agree. I am going to do the thing that I do that probably annoys people, but when my worlds combine, I can't help it. When I've worked in the figure skating uh, world for a while, um, that scoring system is really complex and it's, it's very poorly explained by even most of the best (laughs) announcers and broadcasters in, in the the sport. Um, I have said for a long time, part of the problem with making that sport that's a little bit harder to um, kind of fit into, you know, more normal sports fans spectrum is that it's not explained well. And people don't understand what's happening and why it's different than what someone else did and why the scores are different. And so they see something that they like, and then that person doesn't win and they don't get it. And I think a huge part of that is on the announcers whose job it is to be the expert, right? There's, there's a difference in, you know, a lot of these team broadcasts are kind of <laughs> at times more or less cheerleaders for the team instead of, you know, analysts of what's happening and explaining it to the fans that may not have the same uh, insider info that they have access to. And particularly on national broadcasts, there's this very surface level approach to anything that they they do say whether it's storylines that are that people who know those teams are like that was a story 6 months ago no one cares anymore or the actual information in calling the game and how they explain what's happening on the field and i think you're right one of the things that that i go back and forth with how much i actually enjoy the analytics or the sabermetrics or statcast or whatever it is i'm fascinated by the information but I find it completely pointless without context because you can pull out one stat or one number or one measurement or one, whatever it is. And then without really applying it to the overall product, you can kind of make some bizarre claim that doesn't really make any sense. And that confuses people. So no one wants to watch something that's supposed to be enjoyment and entertainment and then feel confused by what you are or are not telling them, nor do they want to hear a bunch of numbers that then you go, okay, why does that matter? Tell me why that's important. Why are you telling me this information? If there's no reason for it, don't waste your breath. So I completely agree. And I think a lot of that, whether it's, you know, I was joking the other day about Jim Edmonds and his, you know, literal laughter on air about uh, barrel rate. And then a few minutes later saying, but they're hitting the ball really hard. So that's a good sign. (laughs) So it's just like no real understanding or ability to process verbally what the context is of that, whether it's exit velocity or launch angle or spin rate on a pitch or whatever it is. All those things are interesting kind of little nuggets, but they don't mean anything to the overall conversation or commentary on the game. If you can't give it context. And I absolutely agree. I don't, think there are very many people who do that well from the broadcast booth. Yeah, I think 
Well, when I when I think of my favorite writers, baseball writers, and, and this is true for analysts as well, they're not necessarily the people who know the um, advanced stats the best, but they're the ones who explain them the best. Yeah. If if that makes sense, and I yeah. you know I think it does. Like like people who are able to break it down very well for others um, are are the people that that I gravitate to, that I think the general public gravitates to because it gives them a better understanding of the game. And uh, I'm not quite sure how we how we even got here on this StatCast tangent. Well, I do know. I, I, I said something and went into it. But yeah, that that's something I've been thinking about because we've been talking um, in the group chat a little bit about just about the Cardinals analysts uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, and so, you know, it's something that's been on my mind. But and I, I feel like it's something that has come up more this year than it has in the past with maybe local broadcasters trying to incorporate it a bit more or trying to, uh, yeah. you know, maybe sound like they're incorporating it sure. a bit more. I don't know. No, no, that that's exactly it. I would rather have broadcasters. Um, they're perfectly good broadcasters who use very traditional stats, but are still very good at the job. And I would rather have, that's not my first preference. That's not my first choice, I guess I should say. But I would rather have that over someone who is trying to explain or, or is or is using the stats without explaining them. Yeah, no, I agree. And quite honestly, I think that's that has been at times the same issue that actual teams and analytic departments have had translating that information to players and why a lot of players are very resistant to it because there's not, there hasn't been a great uh, vocabulary to apply that information to something that generates results. And a lot of these players, their entire lives have been very focused on, okay, but I need results. Like this process is fine, but if you can't tell me how this is going to get me from point A to point B, I don't care. So I think that's part of, you know, why there maybe is this lack of understanding or why there's just such a a significant learning curve for some of that, that maybe isn't the rocket science that it sounds like (laughs) initially, but it it isn't always translated super well. And and I think maybe that's part of why we're seeing um, that as a a significant talking point for the Cardinals from an offensive perspective this year, because they are trying to figure out how to find that consistency that's been missing. They are trying to figure out how they go from scoring 14 runs in one night to, you know, not scoring 14 runs for the next week (laughs) combined. And that's a frustrating result that they're trying to explain. Maybe they're trying to work backwards from that at this point. And that's, you know, that's kind of where they're at, right? The pitching looks better. The offense kind of sometimes does, but (laughs) isn't always that, that uh, spectacular, but I think to circle back to where we started and maybe we can end this part of the conversation, um, the pitching looking like it's supposed to (laughs) makes everything feel a lot better for this team. I will say though, uh, Alex Reyes, we all love Alex Reyes, uh, but he's going to be pitching a lot in close games if he is in fact the de facto closer. And that 20% walk rate is going to... uh, (laughs) Yeah, you know, cause a lot of stress to some of us. Um, you know, he's a great pitcher. You know, when he's on, he's there. There are a few who are more fun to watch than him. But I, you know, I've made this point before that most people have uh, a negative relationship with their closer just because it's not an easy job. It's a thankless job, and if you uh, 
you know, screw up once every four outings or once every three outings, the fans are going to remember that, even though uh, it's because you're dealing in small samples. And when you're a closer, you're coming in in close games and there's almost no margin for error. And so I think I would not, I would not be against him being used in a different spot, uh, but maybe pitching, uh, I don't know, maybe being more of a bridge guy, but whatever. It's, it's hardly the worst thing in the world to have someone like Alex Reyes, uh, you know, and, and everything he can do coming in uh, late in the game. So it does create an interesting conversation about the makeup of a good closer. Is it someone who just has the the most ridiculous repertoire of pitches, or is it someone who's just that much more well, consistent? And, and I think ideally it's a blend of both, but that's really hard to find. Who you know. I never saw a ton of Mariano Rivera because just the, he pitched in the American League and Cardinals don't play the Yankees yeah. all that much. But I sure saw a lot of Araldis Chapman um, <laughs> when he was with the Reds. And that was just game over. And especially against the Cardinals. I mean, I don't think we ever, I don't think he ever blew a save against us. I, and wasn't there a crazy stat for a while? He'd never even like given up a run against us or, or, or something. I, I, I may uh, have blocked out most of that uh, and, and, as, as bad memories. <laughs> And, you know, in his repertoire was pitching, what, 101 mile per hour uh-huh. fastballs. Yep. Um, so, yeah, th- there's a lot of ways you can, uh, I guess, fill that role. And um, But I, I guess that would be my ideal uh, prototype. A little more consistency, a little less flashiness, mm-hmm. maybe, in the, uh, in the ninth inning. Nonetheless, I- I'm glad that he's there in terms of I'm glad he's able to be pitching this year. And hopefully, hopefully yeah. that the role morphs into just the right thing for him as we go along. And, and as Jordan Hicks, you know, rounds back into form as well, although he's also not the, uh, the poster boy for, um, you know, super consistent outings all the time either. I guess that, that is the trade-off of throwing as hard as he does. All right. We're going to step aside for just a moment. We'll be back with the trip of the week. Don't forget about that. Alex is not getting off the hook for, uh, for a trip of the week this week. But I did have a chance to sit down with Xavier Scruggs, and we want you to hear that conversation right now. I had the pleasure of talking to Xavier Scruggs a while back, about a year ago, when we were all focused in on the KBO because it was the only baseball that was happening. Now I have the pleasure of having him back on the show to talk more about the St. Louis Cardinals, because that's what you're all listening to this show for. And Xavier is back with the St. Louis Cardinals in a new role. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But first of all, thanks for coming back on the show. You have a lot going on these days. So thanks for making time for us. Oh, no, I'm so happy to be on here. Anytime I get an opportunity to just, you know, talk about baseball, talk about the Cardinals at that, um, it's, it's fun for me. So thank you for having me. As I mentioned, we talked about the KBO the last time you were on. You then ended up doing some commentary for the KBO. You're doing more and more of the commentary now, actually calling some games from your home office as we all are doing things virtually these days. <laughs> What's that transition been like, really diving into the, the TV and the announcing thing? Yeah, I think it's been it's been a lot of fun. I, I remember the last time we talked, I was still kind of trying to figure things out, right? Trying to figure out, okay, what's that next step in life and transition-wise? And really, for me, I've always been attracted to that media side. So getting some opportunities to, to just jump on the KBO broadcast was um, kind of the Kickstarter for me. And I started to realize I, I liked it and just basically was like, hey, 
producers over at ESPN, is there any more opportunity for, for this? And um, I, I really tried to take advantage of um, that, that KBO time, but then also going into college baseball this year and, and trying to figure out, okay, is this something that I really like? And then uh, also got some opportunity with MLB Network Radio. So trying to see if I can really uh, use this media side and, and learn how to communicate at least descriptively what I see on the baseball field. Um, that's been a lot of fun for me, just learning that aspect of it. So uh, it, it's been cool. Uh, it's been obviously a process trying to learn and, and like anything, you know, you're uncomfortable at first, but then once you start to dive into it a little bit, you start to figure it out and, and just have fun with it. So I've enjoyed it. Well, having talked to you the times that I have hearing you in other places, I'm not surprised that you've just kind of taken this and run with it. You're you're well-spoken. You obviously <laughs> are invested in the game in a way that a lot of people don't have that access that you do. But I'm curious what that transition has been like for you kind of from a mental standpoint. I've worked with a lot of athletes who then go into the media world. And there's sometimes a weird line to figure out because a lot of times you still know a lot of the players personally. You're commenting on people who you're friends with or you you grew up with or you played against. And there's sometimes this weird element of, okay, but now I have to kind of take that hat off of being a teammate or a friend or a rival. And now I have to not necessarily be critical, but be able to kind of step back and analyze what's happening without that personal connection to some degree. Has that been difficult for you? Or is there enough of an opportunity to just explain what you know that it's been a little more natural? I would say for me, first and foremost, that that's tough. You know, anytime that you're analyzing the game and talking about positive and negative things, it's going to be tough because, like you said, you know a lot of the players, you've played against a lot of the players. So for me, I just try to continue to remember how it would feel for me in that moment. The good thing about me not being too far removed from the game is, okay, I still remember what it feels like in that moment, those emotions, the thought process, um, everything that comes along with that that present moment in the game. So I try to keep in mind, okay, what was this guy thinking and how easy was that play? How tough was that play? So I try to remind myself when I'm talking about it, even though I'm critical about certain plays, I'll let the people know that, hey, that is not a that is not an easy play from a mental standpoint or from a physical standpoint. And if it is an easier play that maybe there was an error made on and and I'm critical about it, the player would be the first to tell you that play should have been made. So I try to remember, you know, okay, what did that feel like during the time when I played? And and also remember that, you know, not everybody is perfect. That's I think that's one of the big things that a lot of media, uh, a lot of media personalities forget is that especially athlete personalities is once you transition into the media is like, don't don't forget, like this game is hard. You know, that's that's the first and foremost thing. Like at the major league level, this game is very, very tough. So always keep that in mind. And, and I always try to just keep it positive, you know, try, try to do the same. Like that's that's what you do. That's why I enjoy listening to you as well. And the things that you talk about on Twitter and all your platforms is like you keep it positive. And that's what I try to do as well. Yeah, it is a, an interesting balance when you feel like, okay, I need to be able to step back and say, this isn't working. <laughs> How do we talk about something that isn't working? But, you know, not make it personal, not make it something that that goes down a path that is unnecessary in right. the weird world of, of social media and the way people can kind of jump on that negativity. Uh, that That's just not necessary, I don't think. And, and you do a great job of that as well. I do want to talk about 
your new position with the St. Louis Cardinals as a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. Now, that title in and of itself, a lot of people in and around baseball are probably like, what? (laughs) What is this and why is it happening? So first and foremost, just tell me what this role is, what you're going to be doing, and how that came about with the Cardinals. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing of, of starting with the title first is uh, diversity, equity, inclusion consultant is me as a player having the opportunity to see what it's been like coming up in an organization such as the Cardinals. I spent eight, I think maybe nine years in the organization in, in total, and I got a great opportunity to see how they go about their diversity initiatives. And then not only diversity, but then the inclusion part of it, right? The biggest thing is we, we talk about bringing in diverse, different backgrounds, different uh, environment, people Um, different race, ethnicity, whatever it may be, genders. Um, We talk about bringing those types of people in, but then the the big part of it is making sure they feel equal and included in all conversations, making sure that they feel like they have the best opportunity to succeed, uh, making sure that they feel valued, making sure that they have a voice in the organization. Um, and, And a lot of times athletes feel like they may not have that or may not feel like they're have the ability to open up enough to to speak their mind, to speak their voice. And at the same time, we have so many things going on today as far as current events that we've seen over the past year and a half that have really struck the minds of people today in the athletic world. And it's like, okay, how can I help educate athletes on these things? You know, whether it be social injustice issues, whether it be uh, politics, whether it be um, any issues in MLB, that, that, you know, they may not know as much about. However, I can do that and, and be a mentor, um, you know, be somebody that, that can be a resource that they can talk to. That's the biggest thing for me when it comes to this title. Um, and it comes from not just the players, but also the coaching, the staff, um, everybody within the organization. We want to make sure that the Cardinals have, you know, that same messaging going from the bottom of the organization for whether it be the minor leagues, but whether it be the custodian working at the stadium all the way to the top, to, to the front office. So making sure that everything is cohesive when we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and just making sure that everybody feels a part of that conversation. Can I ask you on a personal level, you know, you mentioned the time that you spent with the Cardinals. Was there enough of this kind of conversation happening at that point? And maybe maybe the obvious answer is no, and that's why it's necessary now. Yeah, no, no, definitely there wasn't enough. And I, I tell people this all the time is, and it, it doesn't just have to be the Cardinals. It could have been multiple different teams. And I've talked to multiple players and, and heard that this is something more of what they wish they had and more of wish, what they wish they have at the moment. So for me to be able to help implement something like this with the Cardinals is important because I went through it and I realized I had all these questions like, how do I use my platform? Like, I don't have to be an advocate, but how do my how am I best able to use my platform as a player? How do I dive into the community? How do I learn more about the St. Louis community or the affiliate communities that I'm going to be in? Because what are the, those things going to do? Those are going to help me feel more comfortable as a player. And then ultimately, I, I play better. You know, I feel comfortable in my environment. I'm able to go out there and feel like I can succeed. So those things are important for me when we talk about player platforms. Um, so I felt like I wasn't educated on those things as much. If it, it I, I remember, and a lot of guys will tell you, you have that social media um, meeting when you first get to spring training. Hey, this is the do's and don'ts of, of using your social media as a player. Don't make us look bad as an organization, right? 
but what can I do to highlight some of the things on my own platform that can make the organization look good, that can make me look like I'm using my influence in a positive way as a player. So those are the things that we talk about when we're talking about the diversity, equity, inclusion is how can you best use your platform? I'm not saying you have to be loud with your voice. I'm not saying you have to be an advocate about anything. I'm saying if you choose to or you want to be educated on something, that's you should have that as a resource. And that's what I want to be able to provide to a lot of these players, coaches and staff when we're talking about the St. Louis Cardinals organization. Athletes are people, too, <laughs> and they want to share their voice just like anybody else does. Man, and, you're and absolutely I think that's, right. It's it's a it's such a, a weird conversation for a lot of people you know there's the 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 shut up and dribble people and then there's the you have a platform you should use it people and and I feel like sometimes athletes get kind of caught in the middle of trying to figure out what the right way to do that is or if there's some sort of responsibility because they have a platform but that strangeness of okay but how is this going to affect the other people that I work and and play with every single day and, and all those things so it is a complicated um sort of balance to find when there's this sort of visual of like, oh, these athletes are are, are this very public, very uh, entertainment driven people, but y- you guys are just like everybody else. And you think about things that are important and serious and very real outside of a baseball field uh, as well. And, and uh-huh. having having a means to discuss that, I think, is really important just on a human level. And I think, you know, it's even bigger than discussion, right? Like these athletes nowadays, they're very educated on different subjects other than just their sport. And now we see the influence that a lot of them have outside of their sport. And I want to continue to stress that if you can be an athlete that can use that influence in a positive manner, Um, that's going to be huge for the people that you're around, the people that you want to connect with, the people that you can really build relationships with. I think that that's massive. And the the days of shut up and dribble are are done. Like we, you see on TV, like the influence that these guys have and these women have, like it's far beyond their sports. So, and for me, as long as an athlete is finding ways to be educated in other things and, and it's taking the time um, and they're able to do things in a positive manner. I think that that's that's huge. I, it, it's like for me to tell someone at, at any other job to say, hey, don't concentrate on something outside of your job because you need to be so focused on that one job. And, and I think, like you said, as entertainers, as, as athletes in, in that realm, like a lot of people look and say, hey, this is your one job. Stick to that. But no, that's like me telling anybody else, hey, stick to that one job. Don't do anything else outside of that time. Like that doesn't make yeah. sense. Like you should be able to go and do the things that you're really passionate about outside of your sport. Yeah, no one's telling, you know, an accountant to just only ever talk about accounting. That's all you can ever talk about. Right. <laughs> it doesn't happen. <laughs> right. It'd be a pretty and, boring, pretty boring world if we could only ever talk about one thing. And that's what and the and people are more well-rounded today yeah. too. Like athletes are more well-rounded. They're not one-dimensional. So I I I highly stress like if you're able to do multiple things, like a lot of athletes still, you know, can't do multiple things, but if you're able to do that and you're able to show that you're educated in an issue or a subject or a topic, like, albeit, go do it, man. All, all power to you. Yeah. I'm curious, 
in a lot of the conversations we've seen in the last year or so surrounding the idea of diversity, surrounding the idea of equity, what those words, they're kind of buzzwords right now, but what those things mean to particularly individuals in maybe a different experience than than what I have lived through or, or what you have lived through or what any one person has experienced in their life. Um, how do you start this conversation with, with people? Now, the fact that the Cardinals brought you in to do this means that they're listening, right? That they know that there are conversations to be had. There are actions that can be taken to make their organization and baseball in general a, a better place for these kinds of conversations, for people who want to use their platform, for all of that to happen. So it means that they're listening. But how do you start that conversation with somebody who says, wait, that's that's not a problem here. I don't I don't need to talk about this. I don't need to know about this because inevitably that's going to happen. Right. Absolutely. And the biggest thing is you show them um, how to change their perspective on things. You show them what their own unconscious bias is, whether that be how they were raised, whether that be how they were brought up, their background, their environment that they came up in and ask them to put themselves in somebody else's shoes. And whether that be by showing documentaries of um, the, the Negro Leagues and how, you know, certain players were brought up in, in this game. Um, I, I'm a big believer in understanding our history is a big way to affect our future in a positive manner. So whether it be by that or whether it be by podcast and, and showing other views of how things are seen in other people's eyes. One of the big things I talked to the minor leagues just last week uh, about is, Go sit down with somebody else that you wouldn't normally sit down with for breakfast, lunch or dinner and just go learn a little bit about them. Go learn a little bit about what motivates them. Learn a little bit about maybe their family or their upbringing and see how you can change your perspective. Because for me, and especially in this role now, the biggest thing I learned was going to the Dominican, going to Colombia, going to Korea, going to Mexico and changing my whole perspective on how I see things from my own shoes, right? The unselfishness and understanding that people are brought up in, in a different way. They don't always see things the same way that you do. So if I can continue to counsel and support players, whether it be the minority players, whether it be any player, coaching staff, if I can continue to do that by bringing them accurate information as it relates to their environment today, you know, all the affiliates, St. Louis, those things are important for me. Um, you know, bringing those things to them and being a resource, but asking them to to be open and to be and to be honest with themselves. You know, I think a lot of times we're so stuck on our, in our bubble as to you know how we were raised and everybody else should be like that. No, what if we flip the switch and, and was like, okay, let me be aware of how other people are raised. Let me be aware of how big this world is and it, compared to the one place where, where maybe I was born or my family, how they brought me up a certain way. So I think if we're just open to that, that can that can bring way for positive change and awareness and appreciation for cultural diversity across the organization. Yeah, I'm a big believer in the value of those kinds of deep conversations between individuals, you know, not necessarily someone shouting on social media, but having real conversations with real people where you can just kind of go, oh, okay, so tell me, tell me why you feel that way. Tell me what your experience was. 
because I think you're right. The tendency is to only see our own world, <laughs> only see our own bubble. And it's a it's impossible to really understand another human and, and what their experience is, what their life is like if you can't get beyond your your own walls of your own life. So I'm I'm excited to hear that this is happening, that there's uh, a conversation happening within the organization, that there are resources for players who maybe feel like they don't know where to go for that support or for players who want to use the platform that they have to encourage some of that conversation, encourage some of that learning that will allow people to feel comfortable in the story that they have to tell and right. and use that for all the good things that can happen. I know we've seen a lot from Jack Flaherty in the last year, kind of stepping into that platform and realizing, okay, I have a voice. How can I best use it? And that's not an easy thing for a lot of players to do, because going back to what you said before, there's sort of this expectation that, well, you're an athlete, you play baseball, that's what you do. <laughs> so mm -hmm. to step outside of that in any way, opens the door for criticism, opens the door for people to change their opinion of you. And, you know, I think for what we've seen from Jack in the last year, uh, he's he's not so worried about the opinions of people who maybe don't appreciate what he's doing, but instead is is really confident in his choice to share what he believes in and share right. why it's important to him. And I think the opportunity to have someone like yourself helping people figure out that balance, figure out that that roadmap to not being one dimensional if they don't want to be one dimensional is a really valuable resource. Yeah. And you mentioned someone very important, Jack Flaherty. We've had a lot of conversations already and, and just kind of talking about, and I think one of the reasons why he's not necessarily afraid to go out there and speak his voice, whether, whether it be right or wrong or whatever it may be, or however somebody perceives it, um, like he understands the, the positive and negative effects from that now. And that's one of the things I want athletes to understand is no matter how you use your voice or don't use it, there's going to be both positive and negative effects. So if you're able to understand both of those sides or what could come from both of those things, then you can be better educated in making your decision to, to be an advocate about a certain thing or to voice your opinion on a certain thing. So just understanding what comes along with that. And I think he's still developing as a man, right? He's still a young man, still trying to figure out his voice and still trying to figure out his platform. So I encourage him to keep testing things, keep figuring out what works best for him. And I think another thing you mentioned, very important, Tara, is like, I don't have to use this phone, right? Like this doesn't have to be the only way I use my voice. And I, that's what I try to tell athletes as well. It's like, yeah, anybody can throw a tweet out there and, and anybody can throw an Instagram picture out there, but can you actually get out in the community or can you actually make an impact without doing social media? Like that's actually leaving an impact, right? So yeah. um, I, I challenge guys to, to make sure that whether it's the family they're around, the people that support them most, like think about all the people that wish to be in your shoes. How can you impact them most? And I think that that can be done a lot of times without the phone, without social media and just being out there and, and 
in diving into your own community. Like we talk about so there's so many different communities, right? There's there's the people that support me. There's people in my city. Um, there's people that the, that I don't even know that support me via Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it may be. Like, how can I best impact all of those people? So I, I continue, continue to stress that guys and, and women out there, everybody just keep your mind open to how you can intimately impact the people around you. Yeah. And I think that's it. It's that that intimate connection with people, that relationship that you have with people on whatever level that is that allows you to tell your story in a way that has an impact and that makes a difference for people. So I'm excited to see what this does for a lot of the guys coming up in the organization that maybe haven't had this sort of resource at their disposal. And, you know, there are a lot of really good people in the St. Louis Cardinals organization who, um, you know, will hopefully take advantage of of being able to pick your brain and and have conversations with you that then allow them to go out and, and do other things as well. So I'm glad that the Cardinals made this move, brought you into this role, and I'm looking Thank forward you. to how it will impact a lot of baseball players and a lot of the people that they then impact. So you indirectly <laughs> impacting a lot of other people. I do want to pick your brain real quick on the St. Louis Cardinals 2021 version, because this is an interesting mix of of players and of results so far we know the talent that there is in the pitching staff we know the talent that there is of course in bringing nolan arenado into the mix of that lineup the results have been a little mixed to start <laughs> with everybody trying to to settle in and figure out who fits where uh, including dylan carlson who i know you've talked a bit about you like what you see in him so just kind of big picture first of all What's your take on this team and and how they can make all of these great pieces <laughs> translate into a really successful team? I think they, they have the pieces, right? And that, that's what you, you mentioned is the talent on this team. Uh, but for me, it starts, and everybody knows this, it starts with the pitching, right? Once the pitching is able to really get a little bit more consistent, and I'm talking starting pitching and bullpen, um, First off, the starting pitching has to get a little bit deeper into the games, right? Be able to take some of that pressure off of the bullpen guys. I'm talking, and it starts with Jack Flaherty, right? And it, it trickles down to Wayne, right? Which he had an amazing night the other night, even though he got the loss. Those are the types of starts that we want to start to see. And then the Carlos Martinez, right? Getting back for him to be on track. I think that's got to be really important. Then that trickles down, takes that pressure off of the bullpen and and you start to be able to figure out okay what guys what roles guys best fit in whether that be your your Gallegos whether that be your uh Cabrera whether that be your Jordan Hicks Andrew Miller of course then you, you see the talent like Alex Reyes man if we if that guy is in the back of the bullpen like guys aren't going to be able to touch that you know and it's good to see him finally coming into his own as well and then I look at the outfield right the, the young outfielders, they have to get going offensively. They got to be a little bit more consistent. Uh, Dylan Carlson, man, I love this dude. He's actually – the thing about him is he's so patient at the plate. Like he knows that he can let, get deep into counts because he's so talented even with two strikes. So if he continues to trust himself – this guy is going to absolutely take off. And then I look at Williams, like we got to get some more production from, from D. Will in the outfield as well. And I know he's got a lot of talent as well. He's high on – the Cardinals are high on him. So if he's getting that opportunity right now. So if he gets into the type of player that he can be, it's going to be huge because I, the, 
the infield production is going to be there, right? The Goldschmidt, the, the Arenado, once it comes down to it, they're going to be there. Yachty is absolutely killing it right now, too. He's, I mean, this dude looks like he's never going to retire. So <laughs> that, I'm happy to see that because a leader like that, for him to be playing at the level he's playing at, that's that's going to spark the other guys. So I just look for more offensive production from the outfielders and then as well as the, the pitching, pitching starting rotation has been good this past week. So hopefully they continue to do that. Um, and I think that takes pressure off a lot of the other guys. Schilt, the good thing about Schilt is he's so good at managing um, guys' personalities, guys' roles. Um, and I think we're, once you start to see a little bit more consistency from these guys, then Schilt is going to put them in the best position to succeed. Yeah. I want to ask you one pitching question and one offense question, and then I'll let you go for today. But yeah. you mentioned Carlos Martinez. I said before the season started that I think – Carlos Martinez is the key to this pitching staff being what it's capable of being, because if he is the Carlos Martinez, we know he has been in the past and he's able to look like that, you know, sort of top half of a rotation guy, mm -hmm. it changes the dynamic for everything, right? Because then you don't have to play the game of, oh, is he better in the bullpen or can he be a starter? And you can solidify those roles. It also lengthens that rotation when you have a Jack Flaherty and a Carlos Martinez right off the top. And then you add Adam Wainwright, who also looks like he's, you know, at his peak <laughs> at the, the young age of 39. Um, but Carlos Martinez kind of makes or breaks that pitching staff in my mind in terms of what it's capable of being. Mm -hmm. Is that is that a fair statement when you look at the pitching puzzle as it has fallen out and what it could be if Carlos Martinez is that guy? Yeah, I mean, you look at the depth going into the starting the start of the year, like spring training, right? We're just trying to figure out if Carlos Martinez is in the bullpen or if he's a starter. Um, and then also mentioning you'll get Nicholas back here soon. Like the depth is is great. Now, if Carlos is able to, and I think the big thing with Carlos is like he doesn't have the same stuff that he had a few years ago, right? Yeah. So he needs to understand, let's get this weak contact early on. Like, let's not try to strike everybody out. We don't have to get deep in the counts. Let's get guys out within the first couple of pitches because he still has really good stuff. Now it's about getting that weak contact early. Don't don't look at yourself as a strikeout pitcher anymore. Same thing for Flaherty, right? He, he's got the strikeout stuff, but you don't have to strike everybody out. Start getting the weak contact early within the game, and then you get yourself deeper into these ball games. So I absolutely, you're absolutely right with the Carlos Martinez. He's he's almost kind of that make or break dude um, because he's got the nasty stuff and he's got the ability um, to really carry this rotation at times, right? If he's able to be that guy, he can carry this rotation. And they're going to need a guy like him because the, the top guys in a Flaherty, a, a Wainwright, a Nicholas, a KK, like they're not always going to be on. But a Carlos, he has to be consistent. He's got to be that guy that they can rely on. Well, he had a good start on Tuesday night, which was nice to see. Uh, you mentioned not necessarily the strikeout stuff that we've seen from him in the past, but still able to work even out of a little bit of trouble, which has been a problem for him at times in the past. So that was good to see. Okay, offensive question. 
Obviously, moving Dylan Carlson up to the two spot kind of lengthens that lineup a little bit, puts everybody in a good position with Goldschmidt, Arenado back to back. But we've heard a lot this season early from the Cardinals about some of the underlying metrics, right? And this is a conversation that has been going on in baseball for the last handful of years, but the Cardinals were maybe a little slower to adopt kind of the the sabermetric philosophy and how they went about putting together some of their their plans, at least publicly. I'm not in the clubhouse. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes in, in batting practice and all those things. Mm-hmm. But we've heard a lot about hard hit rate. We've heard a lot about exit velocity. We've heard a lot about all these things that basically say they're hitting the ball well. They're just not getting consistent results. As a player and then transitioning to kind of watching from the outside, how helpful is that information? Or is it more just like, Okay, that's great, but it's still not getting the results I want. So why are you telling me this? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's I, I, that's so funny because that's the that's the main question, right? It's like how helpful is all this information? What yeah. when is there too much too much information? Um, when do they become distractions? So for me, it's it's every player is different. Every player has to pick and choose what information is best for them, and. As far as kind of being behind the, the 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 times on things when it comes to that, it's always important. But for me, it it comes when you're established when you establish yourself as a young player. Okay, what information am I going to use most? And I think it's going to be important for a guy like a Dylan Carlson, a Harrison Bader, a Justin um, Justin Williams, like those types of players to understand what information is most important to them. And then be able to go out there and transfer it to the field. I think that's the biggest thing is being able to transfer that information. And how can I take it into batting practice? How can I take it into, you know, defensive work um, when it comes to defensive metrics, base running? Like there's so much of it. So what do I need to take from each little piece that can I actually apply to my game? Um, And that's where the the coaching becomes so, so huge is like. How do you transfer this information over? And I think that's what the Cardinals have. And they're still trying to figure that out. It's like, okay, with these players, and then we've had some injuries, right? So figuring out, okay, along with the injuries, along with players trying to figure out who they are in the major leagues, um, let's figure out the best plan for these guys. And I think that's, you know, Oliver Marmel comes in big with that. Um, Stubby Clap, like those guys are, are really important. Pop Warner. Those guys are starting to figure out, okay, with with 20-some games in, now we start to see that process and how that works. And I think they'll start to figure that out a little bit better as the year goes on. That's always the goal, and we'll see what happens. They have kind of settled in a little bit in the last week or so. So we'll see uh, how those things start to translate as they go on. Xavier, I feel like I could talk baseball with you all day. I'm always, uh, I always enjoy it so much. You bring a really great perspective and and so much value to the things that you have to say. So thank you again for joining us here on the show. And like I said, looking forward to everything that comes from your role with the St. Louis Cardinals. No, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on here. And, um, you know, it's it's always fun, like you said, when you get to just talk baseball. And luckily for me, I've been able to do that. And, and being with the Cardinals is the most exciting, the, the best organization in baseball Uh, you know, and getting to continue to see them grow, right? They're always making strides to figure out how to get better within the organization, within the players on the field. And that's that's ultimately all you can do is figure out how to get better to put yourself in a position to be in the World Series. 
that's the goal every year. Uh, <laughs> World Series or bust, I don't know, but that's the goal. And we'll see if they're able to pull it off. Um, and if they do, you know, we might have to have you back on to talk about that too. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Tara. Seriously, Alex, I love talking to Xavier and he does so much for this game and he's so passionate about it. I'm just, I'm very excited to have him in such an exciting role for this organization that has so much impact and really also just to still have him in the Cardinals organization because I think he loves being part of what this this organization does and, uh, you know, it's nice to have him around and to have him on the show, which then leads us, Alex, into the final piece of the puzzle of this episode and that is of course the chirp of the week okay so real quick i'm going to mention this even though it's not exactly the chirp of the week but we are playing the phillies and i would be this week and i'd be remiss not to bring up uh, one of my favorite baseball stats um it, it it's not the cardinals finishing ahead of the pirates you know every year since 1999 that is probably my favorite ongoing baseball stat but it's just that the Phillies have been very bad uh, as a franchise, it, which might surprise a lot of people because, you know, in our lifetimes, they've been anywhere from uh, okay to good to great. Um, and, you know, they had some bad years, but it certainly haven't been like, you know, like the Royals or the Pirates or anything like that. But going back to 1901... <laughs> The Phillies, and I, I have it here somewhere, have a, and I'm counting last night's game, so I'm giving them credit for that one run they got, um, you know, in the plus column last night. The Phillies have a negative 6,546 run differential uh, dating back to 1901. Um, that is dead last in all of baseball. Um, uh, Cardinals, on the other hand, have a, what is it? A plus 3,793. That's fourth best in all of baseball, behind only uh, teams you would expect, the Yankees, the Giants, and the Dodgers. So as much as I track like the Cardinals finishing ahead of the Pirates, I also want every year the uh, Phillies to have a negative run differential. Um, just and, and to keep adding to that. Uh, I, I want to I get that to 7,000 by uh, 2023 if we can. And then maybe we can talk about 10,000 by the year 2030. That's uh th- that's what I'm watching for over the next uh, nine years, I guess. Um, I like the I like that we're setting goals for yeah. how bad the Phillies are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so but here is the actual real life chirp of the week. We found out today. Again, we're recording this on Tuesday, and we found out today that Yadier Molina is going to be on the 10 day IL uh, for. Um, I, I think he has a problem with a tendon in his foot. Um, and, you know, he, he came back to, to play one game after sitting out a, a couple and uh, obviously didn't go great because now he's on the IL. And that's a huge shame uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, number one being he has been absolutely raking this year and it has been a joy to watch. Uh, but something caught my eye, a tweet caught my eye a week ago from at Senor Bush. Um, do you know that? You probably know that Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. He's... Uh, pretty prominent in Cardinals Twitter, uh, but he, he just tweeted out the most wins by a catcher all time. And this is for catchers who started the game at catcher. And Yadier Molina is now fourth on that list. Um, and he's behind only uh, Ivan Rodriguez, uh, Hall of Famer, Carlton Fisk, Hall of Famer, uh, Bob Boone, not a Hall of Famer, but a very good player nonetheless who played a very long time. 
and then Yadier Molina. And following him are uh, Gary Carter, number five, and Yogi Barrett, number six. So two other Hall of Famers. Um, and so that's pretty cool, right? Yadier Molina is fourth all time, and there's a very good chance he could be first all time when it's all said and done. He'll certainly probably be second unless something goes very wrong with this tendon in his foot and he will pass both Boone and Fisk. But I was also um, in this tweet, it has his slash line in these games uh, that the Cardinals have won when he has started. And for the reasons that almost everyone would expect, players who have very long careers always seem to have very good numbers in games they won, which makes a lot of sense, right? You're more likely to probably win a game if one of your players is hitting very well versus when they are not. And that certainly bears itself out, again, for a guy like Yadier Molina who has played such a long time. But his slash line in these games is a 315 batting average, 367 on base, and a 462 slugging. And that's for an 829 OPS. So uh, not only has Yadier Molina won a lot of games uh, at the catcher position, but he's also hit very, very well, especially for a catcher in those games. He hasn't hit quite as well as he's hitting this year. Um, uh, I I mean, the batting average and on base are almost exactly the same, but he's uh, slugging 631 this year, which is absolutely awesome. And it's a shame that that's going to be interrupted by hopefully just a 10-day IL stint um, and that he can... Who knows? Maybe this will be some nice rest and he can pick up right where he left off. And, uh, you know, we are going to see one of the greatest seasons by an old guy, as anyone can imagine. Uh, That would certainly be nice. But anyway, that is your trip of the week. Yadier Molina has caught a lot of games, has won a lot of games, and has hit well in all of those games. So thank you, Senior Bush, for the tweet um, and for the help on this trip of the week. There are very few things watching Cardinals games that I love more than Yadier Molina home runs. I don't know why. It's just every time it feels like the biggest victory. And it's been a lot of fun to see him have that kind of season so far. I also think I would say what you just described, basically that the Cardinals win a lot of games when he's playing and he's good in the games that they win when he's playing. (laughs) is one of the the reasons that I feel like the conversation about uh, the MVP at the end of the year is always the, uh, all right, here's my hot take. I think, I think we talk about it wrong <laughs> because, and I guess it d- depends. Are you talking about the best player in baseball or the most valuable player to their team? And if the award is for the most valuable player, how much they impact their team and their ability to win It's things like that, and this is a whole different conversation. We don't have time for this conversation tonight, but it's things like that that I always feel like stack up in Yadi's corner because not only basically is what you just described saying, yeah, they win when he plays and he plays well in those games, but that's just from an offensive standpoint, much less his impact as a catcher with the pitching staff and all of those things that we've talked about forever in his Hall of Fame candidacy. So that's my hot take. I think we talk about MVP wrong, but that's just my opinion of how it should be defined. And I think Yachty does a lot of the things that really matter for the team overall and something like that kind of shows it. Well, whatever the case, I think since we're a Cardinals blog, we can all, a Cardinals blog, a Cardinals podcast, we can all agree that he deserved the MVP in 2012. 
Sure. And yes. you know what? I'll give him one in 2013 for good measure as well. Why I, not? You know, 2012 is the one most people point to, but he had an awesome season in 2013 as well. I don't remember who won the MVP that year. It could have been someone who absolutely – I know Buck Posey won it in 2012. Yeah. I'm trying to think yeah. 2013. Uh, I, I don't remember. Who cares? That's a conversation yeah. for another night when we have a lot more time to go back and forth on what the MVP really means. I will say that as we're talking, uh, the Cardinals have taken the lead in their game against the Phillies. So it is a 3-1 game, thanks to a couple of RBI doubles from Nolan Arnato and Tommy Edmund. So All right, well, I'm going to go watch that. Sorry, Tara. Yeah, enjoy. I will not be able to watch. I'm just going to hang out and watch the box score and, and see what happens. But for everyone who can watch, I hope you enjoy it, and then you enjoy listening to this later on in the week. So that'll do it. For Alex, I'm Tara. Thanks again to Xavier Scruggs for joining us. Hope you enjoyed that as much as we did, and we'll talk to you real soon.